Please turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is our scripture reading this morning, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And then our sermon passage is Galatians 3, verses 6 to 9. I'll read beginning at verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. But our sermon passage will focus on Galatians 3, 6 to 9. But first, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and then Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. Please give your full attention to it as it is read aloud in the congregation. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house in the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now turning to Galatians 3. We'll begin at verse 1, but our sermon is from verses 6 to 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This ends the reading of God's holy, perfect word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that your covenant people, that true Israel has always consisted of Jew and Gentile. We thank you for our forefather in the faith, Abraham. We thank you for the faith that you gave to him. A true faith, a living faith. A faith that resulted, that caused him to take steps to follow you. We're thankful for the work that you did in Abraham. We're thankful for the work that you did in us and are continuing to do in us by your Spirit. And we pray that your Spirit would guide us now as your Word is preached. Please bless those who hear. Bless the one who preaches. May your Word faithfully be proclaimed. May you be glorified in the preaching and the hearing of your Word today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be aware of this. I can remember uh, when I was stationed in Bahrain for a year and riding with a cab driver, probably from where we were uh, working, doing security, uh, to the mall, to a movie theater, to the souk, something like that. I remember talking to the cab driver when he found out that I was an American. When he found out, of course, they always knew we were Americans by the way we looked. When he found out I was a Christian, he said, "Oh, oh, we're, we're people of the book too." We, we believe in the same God. 
that probably was a minority uh, report uh, on his part uh, with his fellow Muslims. And yet, three of the world's major religions, the biggest religions in the world, claim ties back to Abraham. And so there is a respect, even among Muslims, toward Jews and Christians that is supposed to, to hold because of the fact that we trace our roots back to Abraham. We're people of the book. But each of these religions claims to be the true descendant, descendants of Abraham to the exclusion of the others. Muslims believe that they are the true descendants of Abraham. They are the people of, Israel, of Abraham. Jews believe that they are the descendants of Abraham. And of course Christians, or at least some of us, a certain uh, strain of Christians, believe that we are Abraham's descendants. Now for some of you, and probably most Americans, the, the most logical choice of who is the true descendant of Abraham is, is, are the Jews, Judaism. Jews can trace their bloodlines back to Abraham. But some of you probably remember that Muslims claim that they are descendants of Ishmael. Muslims say that it was Ishmael, not Isaac, who was taken to the mount. And so they believe that they go all the way back to Abraham. But what about Christians? Now, unless you're a Jewish convert to Christianity, you can't claim to be a blood relative, a blood descendant of Abraham. Your family tree just does not extend to him. But how is it that Christians try to claim that we are descendants of Abraham? How do we claim, like in some of the hymns we sing, that the church is Israel, that Zion is our city? That's what we're going to get into today. I would ask you to consider this thought as we work our way through the sermon today. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a child of Abraham, and so is a member of true Israel. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a child of Abraham, and so is a member of true Israel. The sermon is divided into three parts. The first, by faith, Abraham. The second part, by faith, you. The third, by faith, blessings. Again, by faith, Abraham, that's the first part of the sermon. By faith, you is the second. And by faith, blessings, that's the third. So let's turn our attention to the first part of the sermon. By faith, Abraham. As we read through those first five verses, you'll remember that Paul posed a question to the Galatians in verse 5. He asks there, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And Paul answers that question in verse 6 by telling the Galatians to look at Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, technically, verse 6 is still a part of the question that Paul begins in verse 5. But Paul's answering his own question within the question. How many times do you get to see that happen? And Paul is saying that just as keeping the laws was not the basis for Abraham being counted righteous, neither was keeping the law the reason that the Holy Spirit had been given to them. And he asks this question, how could Abraham have been justified by the law? Now later on in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul is going to remind the Galatians that the law was given to Abraham 430 years after God made the promise to Abraham. Now, Abraham was an old man, but he didn't live that long. He was long dead by the time God gave the law to, to Moses on Mount Sinai. And even circumcision... 
which Paul sees very clearly as being a part of the law, a foreshadowing of the law. Circumcision was not given to Abraham as a sign and seal of the covenant until after he had believed God. Now that throws a little bit of a wrench in the gears of those who believe in baptismal regeneration. They would also have to believe in circumcismal regeneration, if that's even a word. Abraham already believed and was justified long before God gave him the covenant sign of circumcision, the Old Testament counterpart to the New Testament covenant sign of baptism. Now what exactly did Abraham believe? What was the, the substance, the content of his faith? Well, we're told that he believed the promises that were made to him by God. We're first introduced to Abraham, Abram at this point in Genesis chapter 11. We read in chapter 11 of Genesis that he was living in Ur, which is probably now somewhere in southern Iraq. In Genesis chapter 12 verse 1, God calls Abraham to leave Ur and go to Canaan. And God promises Abraham that he will make a great nation of him. And what does Abraham do? He packs up all of his belongings and goes to Canaan. He believes the promise that God has made. He gathers up his wife. He gathers up all of his possessions. He, he was a wealthy man. He leaves his home in Ur. He goes hundreds of miles west to Canaan. And Genesis 15 picks up years later with Abraham and Sarah in the promised land, but still without a child. He said they would have children that they would be a great nation, that there would be many children who would, uh, who would come about from their marriage. And so how could God's promise to make Abraham into a great nation ever come true if he never had even one child? And so you read in Genesis 15 that Abraham starts to question God. He starts to ask God if he would have to make another man's son Abraham's heir. His faith is faltering here. He's believed the promise. He's taken action on that faith. He's moved his whole family to Canaan, but he's starting to doubt. And you remember there in Genesis 15 that God told Abraham to step outside of his tent and look up into the sky. And what does he see? It's a perfect, clear, cloudless night. And he looks up into the sky and he sees how many ever stars it's possible to see with the naked eye in utter pitch blackness. And God tells Abraham, as many as are the stars of the sky, so will your children be. So shall your offspring be. And we read again there in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed the Lord and God counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith had been faltering, but when God showed him the stars and told him that he would have just as many descendants, which was an amazing promise, an unbelievable promise, the Bible says that Abraham believed. God spoke, Abraham believed. When God speaks to his people, the proper response is for us to believe him, to trust him, to take him at his word, to trust and know that he can do the very thing that he has promised he will do. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, by faith, you. Now let me quickly admit here that there is no you in verse 7. We read there, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. But I think it's safe to say that we can infer a you there. That Paul here, he's taking the specific example of Abraham and he is starting to extrapolate. He's starting to, to, to grow it. He says there, know then that it is those of faith. 
From Abraham the singular to those, the plural, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And so it's by faith, not by the works of the law, that you, the Galatians, that you here today are sons of Abraham. But what were the Galatians to believe? What are we to believe? How did we become sons of Abraham? Well, Abraham believed the promise of God. And the Galatians believe the promise of God. More specifically, they believe in the promised one of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is the consummate definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this one verse, this one definition from Hebrews 11 covers both Old Testament faith and New Testament faith. Abraham, just like all of those of faith in the Old Testament, looked forward to the promise that was to come at some point for him in the future. And as Paul will demonstrate in just a few verses, the promise to Abraham is ultimately Jesus Christ. He, Jesus Christ, is why Abraham will become a great nation. Abraham had the assurance of things hoped for. He was hoping for something in the future. His faith was in Jesus Christ who would come some 2,000 years after him. But for the Galatians, for everyone else except the eyewitnesses of Jesus when he walked the earth, including us who live 2,000 years later, faith is the conviction of things not seen. It's it's, It's faith in the things that already happened in the past for us. The object of Abraham's faith and the object of the Christian's faith is the same, Jesus Christ. It's sort of like when you're engaged to be married. Some of you are too young to to even be at that point in your life, and that's okay. When you're engaged to be married, all you can think about is the wedding that is going to take place at some fixed date in the future. You've made a promise to each other. You're looking forward to that day. You can't wait. Well, after you're married, you look back to that day. You remember that day. You fix the date firmly in your mind. You celebrate it each year. For Abraham, he's like the bridegroom looking forward to the day when the the groom will come. He's looking forward to the day of the wedding. We're looking back. We look back to the day when Christ Jesus came. And so Old Testament believers look forward to Jesus. We look back to Jesus. But also, we should hasten to add, we look forward to Christ's return. They focused on the promise, and we focus on the fulfillment of that promise. But no matter which direction our faith looks, if we believe in Jesus, we're sons and daughters of Abraham, because he believed in Jesus. And like Abraham, like the Galatians, those whom Paul described in verse 1 of chapter 3 as foolish Galatians, our faith can falter too. Abraham's faith faltered. Abraham was weak. He started to doubt. And you remember when he fled the promised land, when he went to Egypt, he was very afraid. The Galatians were faltering in their faith. They were being led astray by false doctrine. And we too can falter. It's very easy. There are so many competing doctrines out there that have no basis in truth, no basis in Scripture. 
And yet Christians believe them. We fall into their traps. We can also, quite frankly, just begin to grow weary, grow a little tired. Now, for many of us, around the time of our initial profession of faith, we were on fire for the Lord, right? Especially if you had a a dramatic conversion where the Lord dragged you out of your life of sin and brought you to Him. But after you've walked with the Lord for a little while, especially when you hit your late 30s, your 40s, your 50s, the zeal of those early days might have worn off by that time. There's still a few who have that zeal. And we're thankful to the Lord for them. But you've settled in a bit. Kind of like marriage. There's a routine. It becomes a little rote. Maybe you've let things slip. Not quite as excited about it as you were when you were younger. And that's when oftentimes the problems can start for those who've walked faithfully their whole lives. Because the zeal is diminished, we begin to lose interest. And oftentimes the response is simply just to sort of give up, to check out, to go do something else. You may come to church, you might not come to church. It's kind of optional, no big deal. Either way. For some, in order to reassure yourself that you're still a believer, when you start to feel the zeal lessen, the fires grow a little dim, you start to make yourself do things. We can begin to seek assurance of salvation not by searching for it in God's Word, but by working really hard for the Lord. Trying to gin up that zeal that we used to have. And so to prove to ourselves that we're saved, we try to point to all of the things that we've done for Jesus rather than point to all the things that Jesus has done for us. And this is no different than the Israelites and especially the Pharisees pointing to their many good works to try and justify themselves before the Lord. But as Paul says, in order to be true children of Abraham and ultimately true children of God, we have got to put our faith in Jesus Christ. He has got to be the focus of our faith, not our works. That takes us to the third point of the sermon and the final point, by faith, blessings. Now back in Genesis, God gave Abraham an additional promise that in Abraham all nations will be blessed. And Paul discusses this promise that Abraham received from the Lord in verses 8 and 9 of our passage. And I think that there's a double meaning when Paul talks about this. When he talks about this promise that in Abraham all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But before we go there, look at that phrase in verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Don't miss the significance of what Paul is saying here. God's word is an extension of God himself. He says scripture foresaw. And scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. These are things that God did. And yet Paul is attributing them to scripture. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter uh, chapter 9 verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. And there in Exodus chapter 9, we see that it was God speaking through the prophet Moses who said this. The fact is, all Scripture is breathed out by God, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16. So whether Paul says God said or Scripture said, he's saying the same thing. Scripture is God speaking. It is God's Word. But back to this double meaning of God blessing all the nations in Abraham. 
Now, Paul here is quoting Genesis 18:18, 18, 18, seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, the first way that we understand this, the foremost way we understand this verse, is that God always intended to include the Gentiles as part of his people. From the very beginning, Gentiles were included in the covenant people of God. In other words, true Israel from its very outset was intended to be made up of both Jew and Gentile. And that is because true Israel was not made up, made up of the physical descendants of Abraham, but of the spiritual descendants of Abraham. True Israel was not a physical nation. It was always, from the very beginning, a spiritual nation. That does not mean that some of his physical descendants weren't also spiritual descendants. Many were. Isaac was both a physical son as well as a spiritual son of Abraham. But his brother, half-brother, from Abraham's wife's handmaid, was not a spiritual descendant or spiritual son of Abraham. There are many who are not who are not physical children of Abraham, but who are his spiritual children. True Israel, all the way back to the very beginning, has always been Abraham's spiritual descendants. And spiritual descent crosses national, racial, ethnic boundaries. There is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female in God's people. The children of Abraham are not limited to one or two specific groups of people. There's no hierarchy of groups of people in God's people. His children are made up of all types of people. And that's the way it has been from the very beginning. And so the people of Jewish descent today, though we ought to be thankful for them, they're our neighbors, we're grateful for them. They don't enjoy some sort of special status with the Lord over and above anyone else. And especially not those who believe in Jesus Christ. The faith that Abraham had is the faith that we share. Abraham believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And what, or rather whom, did Abraham believe? He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that Abraham was a Christian because his faith was in the promise that Jesus was coming. But on to the other meaning uh, of this statement that all the nations will be blessed in Abraham. We know that God loves his children. He says in Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 26 that he will send showers of blessing down upon his people. God pours out his love, his grace, his blessings, indeed even his spirit upon you. His people. And like any shower, there is runoff. There is spillover. Those in close proximity to God's people will receive some benefit from it too. It's like having a good friend who has just received a huge inheritance. You may not be a part of the family. You're not going to see any of the proceeds of that inheritance, but your friend will probably pick up the tab for you for dinner, at least on occasion. You're blessed by this friend's inheritance, even though you yourself aren't an inheritor. Your heavenly Father has given you, in Christ, all the riches you could possibly want. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are the one who has received the inheritance. 
And just like in our economy, others benefit when you spread your wealth around. Unbelievers benefit from being near believers. And because it's safe to assume every nation has some believers, every nation receives blessings from God. You don't have to believe that America was or currently is a Christian nation in order to believe that God has blessed this nation. And as much as he's blessed this nation, it's because of Christ's church being blessed in this land. And for that, we can be thankful. And we can most certainly pray that God would continue to bless this nation as he blesses his church in this nation. Unbelievers benefit from being near believers. And because every nation has some believers, every nation receives blessings from God. God blesses you, and God blesses the nations through you. Now, do you believe that? Well, you should. Do you believe that God blesses others through you? It may be hard for some of you to believe, but He does. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been received into God's family. You are an heir to his fortunes. You have received mercy and forgiveness and salvation from his hand. You have direct access to God. You have the Holy Spirit living in your heart. There is nothing more that you could ask for. And so if you died today, you could die content and fulfilled. Because God has blessed you with everything that you need. But while he's got you here... God calls you to be a blessing to others. He is going to bless other people through you. There are people in need, both physically and spiritually. Spread your blessings around. Don't be hesitant to give assistance to people in need. But even those with material wealth can be desperately in need of spiritual blessing. Spiritually speaking, you have received far more than you could ever ask or imagine. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sins, you trust that Jesus took your place and received the punishment that you deserved for your sins. Christ's very own righteousness was credited to your account. God no longer looks at His children as sinners. He looks at you and me as righteous and holy. If you are a believer, you get to spread this good news whenever you have the opportunity. It's like a rich man giving out coins to people in slums, but so much better than that. But if you're here today and you don't believe, recognize that you have received great blessings from God because of your proximity to His children. But closeness to His children is not the same thing as being one of His children. If you don't believe, if you don't trust in Christ Jesus... All you need to do is very simple. Put your faith in Him. Repent. Believe. It is possible to be in a Christian family and not be a Christian. Just like a person could be an Israelite without being a true member of Israel. Your closeness to other Christians will never do you any good, especially not when you stand before God who will judge you based on whether you believed in His Son, Jesus Christ, or not. If you don't believe, then you will have no hope on that great day. But the answer is simple. Don't wait till then when it's too late. If you don't believe, repent today. Repent now. 
and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he will shower down blessings upon you more than you can ever imagine. He'll give you everything that you need spiritually. He'll place you in a family who loves you and cares for you. He will take care of you. Because he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of all of those who believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we are thankful indeed that we can call you Father. We're thankful that in Christ Jesus we have Abraham as our Father. We're grateful that you have made us a part of true Israel because you have given to us faith. You've caused us by your Spirit to be born again. But we pray that anyone who does not know you, those we love, those who might be here today, members of our family, we pray, dear Lord, that you by your Spirit would call them to faith and to repentance. And we pray as you see fit, O Lord, please use us in their lives. Help us, Lord, to be a blessing to many nations, to every nation. Help us, O Lord, to love you and to love our neighbor. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.